the Oxford English Dictionary contains some words that you wouldn't expect it to contain. And one of them is the Singaporean word, kiasu. I, I think you know what it means. Uh, Oxford English Dictionary says, it is used chiefly of a person characterized by a grasping or selfish attitude arising from a fear of missing out on something. Uh, some people say this fear of missing out is a common trait among our Singaporean neighbors. Uh, they'll say that there are people always scared that they'll miss out, so they go overboard uh, to make sure that they don't. Now, whether or not this is fair, we don't know, because huh? actually Malaysians also can be quite casual sometimes. Right? But there's a lot of comments and jokes about Singaporeans because of this. Uh, here's one for you. One day, a Malaysian came to a barber for a haircut. And after the cut, the barber said, oh, sorry, I can't accept money from you because I'm doing community service. Uh, so the Malaysian guy was happy. And uh, the next morning, the barber came to the shop and there was uh, 10 nasi lemak there, uh, ready for him uh, to share with other people. And then the next day, uh, a British man came for a haircut and he wanted to pay the barber. The barber said, no, sorry, you know, I'm doing community service. Uh, and the man was very happy. He left the shop. And the next day, when the barber arrived, there was a thank you card and 10 donuts. Next day, a Singaporean went to the haircut and he wanted to pay the barber, got the same reply. He was very happy and left the shop. And the next morning, when the barber came, there were 10 Singaporeans waiting for a haircut. <laughs> Sometimes, though, the fear of missing out can actually be a good thing. Uh, in our passage today, the writer of the Hebrews warns us about missing out on something that is so good that to miss out on it would be the ultimate tragedy. And so he exhorts us to make every effort not to miss out. Before we look at it though, let me remind us where we're up to in the book of Hebrews. Right? Two weeks ago when we first opened the letter, we saw that Jesus is far, far greater than angels. And we were warned that if the Israelites of old were punished when they disobeyed the message of the angels, how much more, how could we escape if we ignore the great salvation that comes through Jesus? And then last week we saw what a great salvation it was. Jesus was made fully human to taste death for us as humans, to bring us to glory, to destroy the works of the devil, to, to, to free us from the fear of death, to be our great high priest who make propitiation for our sins. And we were told to consider Jesus, who is a son in God's household compared to Moses, who is just a servant. And we are his household, we were told, if we hold fast to our confidence in him. But what happens if we don't? Well, from the great encouragement we had last week, the Holy Spirit now turns to warn us this week. And we're at point two in the outline. And the first warning is a warning about hearing God's Word. A warning about hearing God's Word. It's a warning that's pertinent to each one of us here today because right now, we are listening to the Bible being preached. The Bible is where we hear God's Word. The Word is the Spirit's Word. He speaks to us in this Word. Uh, that's what the writer of the Hebrews affirms as he takes us back to our psalm for today. He notice in verse 7, he quotes it. He says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says. Right, it's a psalm written by David. And so he could have said, as David wrote, 
I could have said, as God spoke through David, uh, as he does in chapter 4, verse 7. But he opens here with his quotes, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Because although this psalm was written a thousand years before this letter to the Hebrew, the Holy Spirit was still speaking through it. And the Holy Spirit was saying to the people of the writer's day, as he was saying to the people of King David's time, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And the example he quotes is what happened in the wilderness. This was after God had rescued his people from slavery in Egypt. Uh, the, don't worry, the, um, the slide, you can just go back to the previous one, and we will stay on that first. Uh, go to the next one. Hey, next one. Ah, okay, okay, that one. Okay, we'll just stay on there. Okay. Um, where were we? God rescued his people from Egypt, right? Okay, he quotes what happened to Israel in the wilderness. Right? God rescued his people from Egypt. He brought them through the desert. He was leading them to the promised land. And what happened? They kept on rebelling against him. Right? When things were tough, when they ran out of food, when they ran out of water, instead of crying out to God for help, they grumbled against him. They grumbled against Moses. They said, Moses, why do you purposely bring us out in this wilderness to kill us? They said, we wish we never left Egypt. And their repeated rebellion culminated in, in refusing to go into the promised land when they got to the edge of the promised land because they didn't trust that God would give it to them. But you know, that was the generation, that was the generation that God had rescued from Egypt with, with wonderful signs and wonders, all these plagues upon the Egyptians. That was the generation that actually walked through the Red Sea on dry land with a wall of water on each side. That was the generation who heard God's voice speak at Mount Sinai. That's the generation that received the law. That's the generation that followed the, the pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. And that's the generation that God condemned. He didn't wipe them out because of his promises to their ancestors. But he said, because of their rebellion, this generation won't go into the land. They have to wander in the desert for 40 years until that whole generation is gone. The next generation will go in. And so the Holy Spirit warns the recipients of this letter, and now he warns us today. Verse 7. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion, as in the day of testing in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Friends, these Israelites had a heart problem, didn't they? But we need to beware of the danger of hardened hearts ourselves. Verse 12 says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. The hearts of the Israelites went astray, and that's what happened to them. And the Holy Spirit says to us, Be careful, check your hearts. Is there any of you who has a heart that is evil and unbelieving? Is there any one of you who is, who is following God just on the outside, but not really from the heart? Is there anyone in danger of falling away from the living God? Holy Spirit, warn the readers of this book. 
He warns you and he warns me. Beware. Check your heart. But we're not just to worry about ourselves, verse 13. It says, exhort one another daily, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We need to keep echoing God's word to each other. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Don't harden your hearts. So let me warn you now, and you can warn me later, and we can all warn each other, don't let your heart be hardened by what verse 13 calls the deceitfulness of sin. You see, friends, sin is deceitful. It is alluring. It promises so much. It promises so much. But it doesn't really deliver, lah. It leads to disaster. Sin looks so attractive. Corruption's okay. Everyone does it from the top to the bottom. That's how you survive in our society. That's how you become rich, and then you can help the church later. Sex outside marriage, okay. In this day and age, we love each other. It doesn't hurt anyone. It'll be pleasurable. It'll be good. And very unfair if you expect me not to express my sex drive just because I'm not married. Gossip's okay, it's just sharing about someone else. That relationship's okay, it's not anything really. Sin is deceitful, friends. Even in the Garden of Eden, the forbidden fruit looked so good, but the results were so bad. Sin is deceitful. And so the Spirit says to us in verse 13, but exhort one another every day as long as it's called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. If you see your brother or your sister being deceived by sin, please go and talk to them. Help them see their folly because the deceitfulness of sin leads to hardened hearts. As we sin more and more, we want to say it's okay. I want to keep on doing the things that we're doing because our hearts are becoming hardened to it. And we want to justify ourselves. And how do you justify yourself? Well, either you end up saying that wrong is right and therefore call God a liar. You live in blatant, unrepentant sin, contrary to God's word. You profess to believe Him and trust Him and so you're just living a lie. Or... You turn away from God altogether because you know His standards, but you love sin more than you love Him. In my experience, most of the people I know who once professed to follow Jesus, but don't anymore, it's because of this. I don't usually see people walking away from the faith because of you know, genuine intellectual reasons. But I often see people who choose to sin and then justify themselves by finding intellectual or other reasons to walk out. One of the great reformers said this, and it actually works both ways. What the heart desires, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. What the heart desires, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. 
So be careful, brothers and sisters. Sin leads to unbelief. Don't let your hearts be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For verse 14, for we share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. That is, if you make a decision for Christ one day and you don't keep on trusting him to the end, then actually you haven't really come to share in Christ. If you go forward in an evangelistic event or put up your hand or fill in a card and tick the box, I want to receive Christ, but you don't keep trusting him to the end, then actually you haven't really come to share in Christ. If you're baptized and confirmed, but you don't really trust Jesus to the end, you haven't actually come to share in Christ. If you're a small group leader or a ministry worker or a pastor in the church and you preach the gospel to others, if you don't keep trusting Christ to the end, you haven't actually really come to share in Christ. Listen to the warning. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. We have to keep on believing. Sin leads to unbelief. Be careful of the danger of the hardness of heart of sin. You've got to keep on keeping on. And so it is said in verse 15, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. The people of Israel in the rebellion didn't hold their confidence to the end. What happened? Verse 16. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not those who left Egypt led by Moses? And, was, and with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose body fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? Why did they fail to enter? Well, verse 17 says it's, they sinned. Verse 18 says they, they were disobedient. But look at the conclusion the writer draws in verse 19. So we see they were not able to enter because of unbelief. You see, in the end, their sin and disobedience were symptoms of unbelief. They didn't really trust God. That's, that's why they rebelled. They didn't really trust God. That's, that's why they disobeyed. Just as true faith produces good works, unbelief leads to sin. And so not only does sin lead to unbelief, unbelief leads to sin. The Israelites failed to believe and so failed to enter the promised land. What does it actually says? They failed to enter into God's rest. And that's the warning for us as well. But now on point four. The writer says in chapter four, verse one, the promise of entering his rest still stands. Hey, you think it's a bit confusing, isn't it? Why? Because the Israelites already entered it so long ago. Why is he saying it still stands? What is this, what is this rest that is promised? Well, we'll understand a little better if we just slip ahead to the rest of the passage. In verse 3, we see that we who have believed enter that rest. So it's like salvation. We, we enter by faith. In verse 4, the rest is associated with the seventh day of creation. 
For it says, God rested on the seventh day from all his works. God, now, God didn't rest because he was tired. He rested on day seven at the end of his creation to enjoy the relationship he had with his people. We made in his image on day six. So resting here is stopping to enjoy relationship. The seventh day is also a day that doesn't end. I mean, every other day in Genesis 1, you've got evening and morning, not the seventh. And so in a sense, the, that, that seventh day goes on. As Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden as God's people in God's place, enjoying God's rest in an ongoing way, and having that wonderful rest with God. And then came the fall, where we sinned, human, re human race rebelled against God, and so we lost access to that rest, expelled from the garden. Israel, God said was going to God was going to bring them into the promised land, the, the rest. Well, that's the place where they could enjoy a relationship with God. It's a picture of that rest in Eden, if you like. It's a model, a picture of God's people being once again in God's place, enjoying God's rest. But it wasn't the real thing. Uh, verse 8 says, if Joshua had given them rest, Joshua was the one who brought them into the promised land, if Joshua had given them rest, the real rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. But there was another rest to come. When Jesus came, he came as Lord of the Sabbath, Lord of the rest, the one who brings the true rest. And he issued the call, remember, come to me all who weary and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. That is the rest that we wait for. That is the rest we long for. And while we experience a measure of it now, the rest truly comes in the future when we enter the promised land of the new creation, where you'll once again be God's people in God's place under God's blessing and rule, enjoying God's rest. Where sin and all its consequences of death and mourning and crying and pain are no more. And the rest we enjoy is a perfect relationship with our triune God forever. So then, in verse 9, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. That's the rest that we are promised. That is so good. Does that make sense? Okay, now we've understood that rest, let's go back and look at the warnings about it. In chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. You see? Just like the Israelites had the promise of entering the promised land, their rest, we have the promise of entering the new creation, our rest. But that generation failed to enter. And chapter 4 verse 1 tells us, you and I need to fear lest we miss out. Be afraid, the writer says, take this seriously. This is the thing to be kiasua about. 4 verse 2, the good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listen. With those who listen. See, the Israelites received good news. They heard about the promises of rest in the promised land. They didn't really trust God's promises. And without faith, the promises were of no benefit to them. And so at the end of verse 6, we, we see that even though they received the good news, 
they failed to enter the land because of disobedience. And friends, we too have received the good news. We know the promise of the rest of the new creation through faith in Jesus Christ. And the warning comes down to us then in verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Friends, let me urge you, let me beg you to take heed of this warning. God to keep on trusting in Christ. Please, 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 please strive to enter that rest. Be eager, be zealous, be enthusiastic about making sure you're in. Don't miss out on the promised land of the new creation. Don't risk missing out on your rest. It is worth more than any possession, any experience, any relationship that the world has to offer. Don't play play with your salvation. You've got to trust Jesus and you've got to keep on trusting Jesus. Don't be disobedient. Don't be unbelieving. Don't be like Israel in the wilderness and miss out on your rest. The writer of the Hebrews started this section with a warning from the Holy Spirit. Remember, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. And now at the end, he goes back to that warning. And that's, that's God's message for us today as well. It is, it is dangerous to hear God's word. It's dangerous to hear God's word. right? Because when we hear God's word, we must receive it with faith. Not like the Israelites in the wilderness. Verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. In other words, what it's saying is God's word will judge us. How we respond, when we hear God's word, when we receive God's word, how we respond to God's word shows what is really in our hearts at the deepest level. And we cannot hide from it. Verse 13 says that no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. That is, our response to God's word lays our hearts bare before God. If we trust God's word, that will be shown in our obedience. But if our hearts are unbelieving and we don't trust God's word, we will persist in disobedience and miss out on the rest that is promised to those who believe and keep on believing to the end. So, what should we do? Well, let me go back and remind us of those four big commands the Spirit has given us today, the four major imperatives in our passage. First one, in chapter 3, verse 12, take care. Take care, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Check your heart. Make sure your heart is not leading you to fall away from the living God. How do you do that? Well, look to see if your heart's being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Does your heart love some sin or other more than it loves Jesus? Is there some sin or other that's deceiving you? Have you been choosing to excuse that sin instead of repenting of that sin? and trusting in Jesus. If that's the case, then, then you are in danger. 
Don't let your heart keep leading you in that direction. Name your sin. Repent of your sin. Come to Jesus for forgiveness. He loves you. He died for you. He even died for that sin. And he's willing to forgive you. Give your heart back to him. And keep on going back to the gospel. Keep on pondering the wonderful kindness that God has shown us in Christ. Keep going back to the great salvation that we have in him. Keep going back to see how kind and gracious he is to you. Shown on the cross. And pray that God will change your heart as you consider Christ. So that you love him more and more in response to his love. Loving Jesus more than you love sin. Check your hearts. Secondly, in verse 13 of chapter 3, exhort. Exhort one another daily, it says, as long as it's called today. Because remember, there are times our own hearts are so deceived by the deceitfulness of sin that we will need someone else to gently and lovingly point it out to us. We sometimes need someone else, someone who loves Jesus and loves us, who knows us well, to sit with us and help us see our blind spots. We need to build among ourselves and with each other the kinds of relationships wherein we, in which we can say hard things to each other in love. Where it's not seen or received as an attack, but a brother or sister acting in love. As we jointly help each other, as we point out sin in the context of loving relationships, not lobbing grenades at each other, we must also always keep pointing to Christ and His grace and applying the gospel in our brothers' or sisters' lives. So we are encouragers who bring grace, not just moralizers who bring condemnation. But in the context of that love, let's encourage each other, let's plead with each other, let's help each other with the deceitfulness of sin. Let's keep doing it until Christ returns. Work together that none of us may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Thirdly, in chapter 4, verse 1, let us fear, fear, lest any of us should fail to reach God's rest. Mustn't take these warnings lightly for ourselves or for each other. They're very serious. The consequences of, of ignoring them are huge. This is, this is bigger than going to court, right? It's facing a heavenly judge. It's bigger than life or death. It's eternal life or death. It's bigger than you or I will do anything else that you or I will deal with. So we must take these things seriously for ourselves and for our brothers and sisters whom we love. We are strong on the assurance of salvation that is good and proper. We ought to be. Keep that up. We should also have a healthy fear for each other, lest any of us fail to reach God's rest. And finally, chapter 4, verse 11, we should strive, strive. Make every effort not to miss out. This is where the kiasu thing comes right back in. Be kiasu about that rest. Be kiasu about your faith. We get saved by faith. 
we stay saved by faith. So make every effort to keep on believing. Now, one way God gives us to help us with that is to just keep on meeting with God's people at church each week, isn't it? Keep on meeting one another, keep on encouraging one another. That's, that's one of the ways that God helps us to keep on believing. So as we meet, make sure you also you build a network of people whom you can encourage and who can encourage you with God's Word. If you're not in a small group where you can do that, or you don't have other people you can do, who, who can do that, then, then work out how you can do that. Right? Uh, small groups are really good ways of doing it. It's not the only way of doing it, but it is one way of doing it. You join one of our smack growth groups, or men's breakfast, or women's Bible study group, or UCF, or, or you can do one-to-one with another brother or sister. Uh, create informal networks. Uh, whatever it is, whatever you do, make sure that you're serving God, that you're growing in Christ, that you're moving forward. You're growing in godliness. Right? It's when you stop moving forward that you fall off the bicycle, isn't it? Right? So make sure you keep on examining yourself for the deceitfulness of sin that could lead you away towards unbelief. And wherever you see that there, repent and come back. Jesus died to take the punishment so that we can be forgiven. Today. I wonder if there is someone, actually probably not just someone, probably a whole number of people here today, for whom this warning is not just a prophylactic warning, uh, but a very, very real thing. Maybe even today, there are sins in your life, there's a deceitfulness there that you kind of like realize, you go, oh no, what am I going to do? Don't ignore it, don't go, oh yeah, 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 and then go home and forget about it. Don't do that, all right? Got to deal with it. Jesus died to take your punishment. You come to him. You admit that you are wrong, he is right, he'll forgive you. If you hear God's voice today, don't harden your hearts like Israel did in the wilderness. Let's pray. Let's just take a few moments of silence to examine our hearts and our lives in light of God's word to us this morning. Let's reflect to see if there are things that we need to repent of.
us also think to think about there are things where we have been affected by the deceitfulness of sin and we've realized that are there are there brothers or sisters that we can share this with so that they can encourage us as we face the dangers ahead people that we need to build relationships of love with that we might also be able to encourage. Father, you you speak to us by your spirit through your word and we thank you for that. We thank you for both the things in your word that tell us how wonderful you are and what you have done for us, as well as the warnings in your word of missing out. We pray that you help us to take all these things seriously. We thank you that you warn us not for any other reason but to help us persevere in the faith. The way that you help us to persevere is by your Spirit giving us these warnings and giving us hearts that take them seriously. So we pray, Father, that you will help us where there is sin that needs to be repented of. Help us to be doing that. May your Spirit convict us. Help us to see where we're going wrong. Help us to love each other. And so be willing to take the risk of, of sharing with each other in love. Father, please help us to persevere. And we pray, Lord, that of all of us here, that you help each one of us to not only trust in your Son, but to Hold that confidence to the end. That we might be able to stand on that last day, enjoying your rest, knowing that we have indeed come to share in Christ. Father, in the end, we know this is your work. And so we commit ourselves to you, asking for you to be at work in our hearts. We ask these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.